I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head, I could do my own internal, like yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears, I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna, also known as the Spiritual Midwife, and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a midwife and a childbirth educator, a woman's work facilitator, mentor, and coach, and I assist women in optimizing their chances of having an empowering and natural birth experience and to truly claim their birth as a rite of passage. If you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then please visit me at thenaturalbirthcourse.com or connect with me on Instagram as the underscore spiritual underscore midwife. Now, if you love this podcast, then please consider taking a moment and leave a review as this is how you can help us reach more women around the world with these natural and empowering birth stories. The Natural Birth Podcast also has a Patreon page, so if you'd like to shout me a cup of coffee to show me your appreciation for the podcast, then you can do that there. Thank you for all your support and love. It's deeply appreciated. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Tilly. Tilly is a mama of two from the US. She is a holistic sex and intimacy coach for mamas seeking to embody their pleasure and have the best sex of their lives or rediscover sex after birth. She is the host of the multi-orgasmic mama podcast that I've been a guest on speaking about conscious conception. If you're curious about that, then check out the link in the episode's show notes. But today we are going to chat about Tilly's very interesting birth stories. Tilly had her first as a very young 22-year-old studying to become an OBGYN. But after witnessing the over-medicalization of birth, she decided to have a free birth at home with just her partner. She ended up having a very empowering and precipitous birth at home in the dark. And when she felt pregnant again with her second, she was planning a home birth with a midwife this time to have some female support at the birth altar. But at 34 weeks, she ended up breaking her waters prematurely. She stayed home for 24 hours to see if labor would start naturally and then decided to go into hospital where she naturally induced herself with nipple stimulation through a breast pump. She then birthed her own way on all fours on the floor and stayed at the hospital doing kangaroo care for 10 days with her newborn. All on her own terms. Curious about Tilly? Find her on Instagram as Tilly Storm. And don't forget to check out the Conscious Conception for High Achieving Women with me on her multi-orgasmic mama podcast. Find the link in the show notes. Hi, Tilly, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm wonderful. So good to be here. So good to have you. I am sitting at the edge of my seat, super like interested to hear your journey into motherhood, your chosen, you know, path of how to birth. It's going to be so interesting. Um, so like the only thing I really know is that you had a free birth with your first and that was a chosen, you know, choice to have a free birth, an active choice. And then um, you actually had a natural birth at 
34 weeks with the premi. So obviously term is 37 to 42 weeks, but that was really early. And um, yeah, I'm not going to spill the beans. We'll get to that. But I'm really curious about how this all unfolded and take us back to falling pregnant and knowing that you wanted to have a free birth. How come that was your choice? Yeah. Well, I actually went to school to be an OBGYN. So <laughs> it started there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I was raised by a father who had a heating, air conditioning, and plumbing business all of his life. That was the family business from his dad, but he always wanted to be a chiropractor. So he always had this interesting side to him of, you know, and we're from a really small town in Louisiana. He was, don't ever trust the government. Don't ever trust doctors. Don't ever trust these people that tend to have, a that think they have authority over you. And I grew up with a man like that who never went to the doctor. He always went to a chiropractor. Uh, anytime someone in the family was sick, you know, he just, he never had that mindset of like mm -hmm. buying into it. He had that, you know, farm boy mentality, I guess. So <laughs> like, it's just normal people get sick and then they get over it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always grew up with this holistic mindset, I guess, around health and, when I went to school, I wanted to be an OBGYN. I was super interested in women's uh, menstrual cycles and birthing and newborns and all of that from a young age. Uh, I also grew up in a really religious environment. So they, they didn't let me take sex education in seventh grade. So you know what they did instead? They gave me a textbook on women's bodies and the menstrual cycle and pregnancy and birth. And I was so fascinated by it. <laughs> wow. <gasps> yeah. Okay. So that was when I was about 13. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I went to school and had done a lot of rotations in a hospital with an anesthesiologist and had seen so many C-sections. I was 22 years old at the time, 21 or 22. And I remember thinking, my God, if I ever become pregnant, I don't ever want my birth to be like this because I saw what happened and I saw how unnecessary so much of it seemed yeah. and how out of it these women were. I was like, this is not what I had in mind about what birth should be like. <laughs> yeah. So actually did become pregnant uh, when I was on my 22nd birthday, I think. Was it? The, yeah. My 22nd birthday. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you were still in school then studying to become a obey. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I had heard of some natural childbirth courses. So it was pretty clear and apparent like, okay, I'm not doing the whole medicalized thing. I'm not going to have a C-section. And I'd heard about the Bradley method, which I don't know if your people are into that or if that's even still a thing anymore, but I did Bradley method classes. And by the second class, I was like, holy cow, I am never going to a hospital for this. <laughs> it's just like, I, it got more into the nitty gritty of labor yeah. and all of the interventions that they use. Yeah. So I had, I hadn't done rotations in OB yet. Um, so I wasn't quite aware of everything that had gone on. And yeah, after the second class I was like, okay, so I'm doing this at home. And my partner at the time was totally on board with it and he had no problems with it either. He kind of had the same mentality that I do around bodies and health and personal sovereignty and that sort of thing. So, um, we actually looked for a midwife and the one in town that was available, I just didn't like her, <laughs> didn't like her. Something didn't vibe. And I was also a broke college student. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Healthcare doesn't pay for this and I don't like her anyway. So let's just do it on our own. So I bought all the emergency childbirth books and we did a free birth at home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I love the confidence of you at 22 going like, right. I can do this. 
And yeah, I mean, most of us can. So talk us through the early signs of labor approaching or the early hours of labor starting for you. What did that look like? The the birth was very quick. I had what we call precipitous birth. I had a two and a half hour labor from start to finish. And I really didn't oh. know I was in labor until 30 minutes before I came out. <laughs> wow. Again, like you're a little unicorn in your stories, aren't you? They're so <laughs> special. Okay. So precipitous labor. Wow. So tell us about that. Take us through the journey of, yeah. um, of that. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note that the decision to have a free birth wasn't just like, it wasn't out of scarcity or, you know, this was the only other option. So I guess I have to do it uh, because I didn't like the midwife and, you know, there was nothing. It came from a place of like, I totally know how to do this. There, this is, what I know to be true is that my body was designed for birth and I had not a doubt in my mind about it not being the right thing for me. So I don't know where that came from, but people ask me like, weren't you afraid? I'm like, no, (laughs) not at all. I was not afraid. I literally had zero ounce of fear and I don't know why I received that or, you know, how I was blessed with that. No fear around it because, you know, you everyone seems to be scared of birth and uh, how it might be painful. And I just didn't have an ounce of fear. I just knew it was what was right for me. And I completely trusted it. Like it wasn't even a question. So when it came my, actually he was born on his due date. (laughs) So it was midnight on his due date. My, um, my water broke. And I was like, I had been in bed that night. I remember around nine o'clock that night telling my partner, I was like, dude, I don't know. Like if I don't have this baby tomorrow, I don't know what I'm going to do because I feel like I'm going to lose my mind because my body was so uncomfortable. (laughs) So not, you know, just beside myself, the discomfort and sure enough at midnight, my water broke. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Like, I can't be pregnant another day. <laughs> I was like, I understand why women would get induced because it's it's hard at the end. I think yeah. that's also nature's way of like preparing us to have a baby, to be like, I'm done with this. You know, even because yeah. you said you had no fear, but as you say, like for most women, even if you're prepared and stuff, like it's still like a scary thing to go through because it's so unknown, right? For many women. And so I think it's nature's way of, of like overriding that fear and just going like, ah, you know, I'm so down with this. Like it's, it's a way of getting ready. I think, you know, nature's way of going like, otherwise you just stay pregnant forever. If you were happy and like comfortable with it, you were just like, ah, don't need to have this baby. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. And you're so right. I've definitely, uh, cause I had worked as a doula and a midwife apprentice after my two kids who were born. And I had seen that, that a lot of women hold on because of fear and yeah. they're, they're afraid of passing through that portal. Um, well, I honestly really didn't know what that would be like. It was just like, I'm so uncomfortable. We're not doing this anymore. And I just made up my mind that we're having this baby today, hell or high water. (laughs) So, uh, water broke at midnight. And I remember trying to go back to bed for a little bit. I felt nauseous. Um, I honestly don't understand what people mean by it feels like period cramps because I'd never had period cramp period cramps um, growing up and having my first menstrual cycle cycles. That was never a thing. So when people would say, you know, my natural childbirth educators are like, uh, it'll feel like you have cramps when you're, when labor first starts. And I didn't feel any that I just felt sick. Like, I ate something bad and I was like, okay, well, I was nauseous right now. So I'm just going to try and sleep through it. And then about two o'clock in the morning rolls around and I'm like, okay, feels a little more than nauseous. 
<laughs> okay. I'm starting to feel something now. And then I could start to feel the, my belly and my uterus actually tense. I was like, Oh, okay. I think that's an actual contraction. So this was two and a half hours before he's born. <clears throat> so I started timing contractions around two o'clock in the morning. And I remember going, get in the bathtub. Uh, I wasn't really uncomfortable, but it was just like, whatever. Um, we had had everything prepared. We had the birth kit and all of that, but I assumed it would be, you know, a while. I knew, uh, that it could take up to a day or two sometimes, but at the same time, I knew that it wouldn't for me because my mom and my grandma all had four hours or under labors. And I knew that going into it. So I kind of assumed that it would be fairly quick, but that it would still take hours, you know? Uh, and I didn't want to have an unhealthy assumption of how quick it might go just based on their experience either. Uh, but it ended up going really quick. So, <laughs> uh, after the bathtub, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, I, this is picking up fairly quickly. And, um, it was the coldest night of the year. It was January 10th. I lived in Idaho in the United States, which is far North. And there was about three feet of snow on the ground. We had a fire, uh, a wood burning stove that we heated the house with. And I just remember going to that fire and just like warming myself up by it. And the, the house was so cozy. I turned on the music and it was just completely dark. I did not want any lights on. I was like a freaking cat going under a house to have babies or something. I was like, no lights. I like, just leave me alone. I didn't want anyone to touch me. I didn't want my partner to touch me. I was like, just let me be here and do my thing. And then it was about four in the morning when I was like, okay, yeah, this is happening. <laughs> and I just remember that being a turning point. It must've been transition, but yeah. it didn't feel like, um, I don't know. I, it didn't, I wasn't at the point of like, I can't take this anymore either. Well, what's it the was, experience for you? Like, how did it, cause in the beginning you said you just kind of felt that your tummy was tightening, but there was no pain associated with it. There was no discomfort. Did that change throughout those hours in the bath and walking around in your little house? Yeah. It changed right at the four o'clock in the morning point. That's when it went from being completely doable and like, we're just rolling along here until like, Oh, holy shit. I feel like I've just been hit by a train. <laughs> so that's why I say I must've hit, you know, nine, 10 centimeters, mm -hmm. probably around that point. And then I had the out of body experiences. Like I left my body. I was up at the ceiling looking down at myself. Um, I just remember I was on all fours swaying back and forth, uh, really so in tune. Like I didn't give a shit what I was sounding like. I was making tons of noise, um, just moving, breathing, sounding. And it's funny because I'm a Tantra teacher now and I teach these these things is for helping people have epic sex and pleasure. And mm -hmm. it's hilarious because these were exactly the things I was doing in my birth, not even knowing that this is the key to uh, releasing and letting go and surrendering to a wild primal orgasmic state mm -hmm. is the exact same thing. So exact same, yeah. yeah. So I was breathing really deep and full sounding, expressing, moving my body. And then probably 4.15, I got to the point where my body just felt exhausted. Like my, my arms, I was on all fours for those 30 minutes and my elbows I just couldn't hold myself up hardly anymore. So I just kind of collapsed with my butt in the air, <laughs> my elbows, like in a, a forearm plank almost, because I just couldn't hold my shoulders up. And then I had three more contractions after that, three or four more contractions after that. And then that's when uh, I was crowning. And then his dad was like, okay, yeah, he's coming. Like I see the head it's out fairly well now. Um, and then his head came out on the first one. There was no pushing. I did not push. My body did everything. There was no like, oh, I need to do something here. It was just like, 
oh, this is happening. All right. So we're just surrendering to it. Um, his head came out and then it was a good three or four minutes before I had another contraction. I remember him being like, okay, you're fine, but like next contraction, you need to get him out. Like, come on. Um, so I remember there being like, that's, that was the only twinge of fear in the whole experience. Yeah. <laughs> the head being out, but he was turning. Like, he was turning. He, yeah. And this thing is, I mean, you might actually have clocked that, but sometimes it might just have been a minute, but it feels like forever. Yeah. Like that in between yeah. time. And it's normal. And sometimes it can even be two contractions with the head out before the whole baby is born. And that's also normal. Like, as you said, you felt him turning. Like, that is a healthy sign. Like, baby's not stuck. It's turning. It's doing its internal rotations. And, but that, that moment between, really, between the worlds, like, baby's head is out, but the body's still inside you. It's such a magical moment. And, um, and it's really a time where everyone just needs to be like super calm, super, you know, just not rushing because there's no rush. Like babies are fine with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it does feel like an eternity though, for some women they're like, I'm not having another contraction. It's like, it's fine. Just relax, breathe. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. It, it definitely felt like an eternity in that moment. And, uh, the pushing or I say pushing, but I wasn't, it was, I just remember your body his, was, yeah. Yeah. His body coming out. That's when I thought I was going to die. Honestly, um, that, that moment he was nine pounds, three ounces, by the way, <laughs> big boy. Uh, but yeah, in that moment, I thought my body was splitting in half. I really did with that, with the shoulders. Yep. Right. I remember thinking, okay, that's it. I guess I'm dead. Like I, this is it. (laughs) It was just a complete surrender and just, yeah. uh, You know, I I've seen so many videos of, of women in that moment and it was a little different than mine. I think it wasn't, um, it wasn't like, I'm just gliding through this, you know, this yeah. is just more of the head. No, it was like a completely different sensation than the head. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was a tough moment for me because I really thought that that was it. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to die here and my body's going to split in half and that'll be the end of me. <laughs> but he came out and you know what? I was completely fine and I didn't even tear. It did not even tear. And I swear to God, the only reason I did not was because I was on all fours and nobody telling me what to do. I was just following my body and my body was the one in control. I wasn't thinking I was completely out of my head and, you know, just in another world. And my body was just doing its thing and it knew what to do. So (laughs) that's the magical thing, isn't it? That our bodies are designed to birth. And if we trust it and allow it to do its thing, then most of the time it will do its thing perfectly. Yeah. And it's just like you said, like you didn't push. No, like that's what happens. That's the that's the force of labor coming through you. It's really becoming that channel between the heavens and the earth and just allowing the power of birth to birth through you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I honestly don't even relate to people being like, oh, trying to push or trying to think my way through getting my kid out it that had no reference point in my head I was I don't know how anybody could still be in their head at that point <laughs> I just kept the, I, I I had no conscious control over yeah. anything that was happening because I was so just letting the body take over and witnessing it from up here helped me to get out of the way of it yeah. Well, it sounds like you were, you know, you really had a hundred percent physiological birth. You had no outer disturbance because of your choice of free birthing. I mean, that doesn't, doesn't go hand in hand with having to be a free birth to be having a physiological birth, but you know, you had that fully in your space. You were so safe in your dark space, like a cat, which is like the perfect way to birth. Right. And you had no interference. And obviously you're 
you know, it sounds like your baby was in the perfect position, all of the things aligned for you to have that physiological birth, you know, really smoothly. Um, and that's it. Like, that's mm -hmm. the magic of women's bodies and the design of birth. Like when left alone, most of the time it will go really well. And, you know, you also not being in fear, you know, really, really help because, you know, maybe you could have added a few hours on top of there had you had a lot of fears rise for you that you had tightened against or had you had problems with sounding or being really, you know, embodied and animated had potentially put a, as well a few hours on there because those are the things that we navigate the first time we birth right it's the fear and it's the maybe the good girl holding back or the one that tries to um, take care of the people in their space you know just those things that are so programmed in women generally right in our population that we have to navigate through to get into that zone to birth the baby whereas you in the middle of the night just did your own thing and you were you were coming into it in a good way, naively, right? Like it's that sometimes that's a blessing, like, you know, um, to just go in and go like, I can do this and I'm not afraid. And um, the perfect circumstance to have a, a physiological birth like you did. So your baby came out on all fours and he was fine. He was coming out, big baby. What happened? What happened when he was born? Yeah, uh, after he was born, I, his dad caught him and then he just passed him right underneath my legs where I was, you know, I kind of got into a squatting position and then just held him on my chest. Mm. And then we waited for placenta, which took a long time. <laughs> placenta took 45, 50 minutes, which, you know, knowing what I know now, it's not long, but it seemed like a really long time then. Cause I was just yeah. like, Oh my God, is this thing ever going to come out? So I can <laughs> change positions or, uh, move or like get the baby off of me. <laughs> I wasn't very comfortable. Uh, so I just remember waiting for it to come out. Are you were just sitting in a squatting position for 45 minutes? Yeah. Oh God, that would have been so hard to hold. Well, you know what? Uh, it, it was to the point where I was like, okay, maybe if I move, it'll just come out. Maybe yeah. it's just sitting there or it's like stuck in my pelvis somehow. Maybe it's already released. I don't know. Uh, so I moved, I got up and like changed positions a little bit. And then it came right out. Like, I'm yeah. at, like so I think it was That's just sweet. the position I just needed to move. So it would come out. Yeah. Um, after it came out, we cut the cord we didn't do any of the <clears throat> prolonged cord thing but we did the oh that was plenty prolonged that is super prolonged i mean that's yeah. the physiological birth of the placenta that's the natural birth of the placenta it's like waiting until it's born until you cut and clamp the cord right i mean you what probably you're referring to is maybe lotus birth where you actually keep the placenta attached to the baby until the actual like umbilical cord falls off the baby instead of actually ever cutting the cord but I mean, that's totally a natural physiological birth of the placenta. Yeah. Which is the best way, you know, if you've had a natural birth, you should have a natural birth of the placenta. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that, it was, mm, let's see, what did I do? Oh, I went into the shower. I was bleeding quite a bit and I got a little concerned that it might be too much. Um, I remember being in the shower and getting lightheaded. I was like, okay maybe it's just the hot water. So I turned that off and then, uh, I was fine after that, but mm. after cleaning up myself and my baby was absolutely fine. His dad was holding him while I was cleaning up and, uh, literally an hour and a half after he was born, we were in the bed going to sleep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It was what five thirty six in the morning. Went to sleep for a couple of hours at eight. Uh, which this is funny. This is a funny part of the story. My family had drove up from Louisiana to Idaho. Now, for those of you that don't know the United States geography, that's about a two day drive, constantly driving. And they had drove up in a motorhome, and they were parked outside of the house. And I. I remember thinking, oh God, I hope they don't hear all this noise. 
<laughs> I didn't think that they would, but it did cross my mind for a second. I didn't care if they did, but it's funny because at eight o'clock they came and knocked on the door and they're like, something's different. I was like, yeah, I had the baby last night. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? Were you in labor at all the night before? Because we had dinner with you the night before. And I was like, no, <laughs> it was just such a surprise. They couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, here's Vincent. <laughs> and I remember my grandpa being the first one to hold him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we slept for a couple of hours and my family came and yeah, it was just like, oh, this thing happened. Yep. It was just normal. It was all normal. Wow, what an empowering experience for you as a 22-year-old. Right. To have yeah. this. Wow. How did you feel? Do you remember? Uh accomplished. I mean, I proud of myself, but at the same time, it's just like whatever, because I knew that I could do it. And <laughs> I didn't doubt this is just what women's bodies are designed to do. So I don't need a trophy for it. You know, like I wasn't seeking approval or anything. It was just like, oh, this happened. (laughs) So it just felt normal, but you know, I was, I was happy. It went how it went and uh, everything was so quick and that was a blessing. Mm -hmm. And it went how I kind of assumed that it would at least fairly quickly. I just didn't know it'd be that quick. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it took, having witnessed and been with women and working as a doula for seven years and a midwife apprentice myself, it took all of that to really appreciate where I came from and how blessed I was to have that level of trust and discernment. And, you know, I, I guess just background from how I grew up and just knowing that, you know what, people get sick, they get better. Pregnancy isn't a sickness. It's completely normal. And just kind of had that farm boy mentality around birthing things. Like it just wasn't a big deal. So I, I think I took it for granted for a while. And then when I witnessed how much women struggle with birth and Mm. struggle to have that level of trust in themselves Mm. and in their body, I was like, damn, I got really lucky. (laughs) I got really lucky to have that. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I love, I love 22 year old you. I love that rebel, rebel girl. Do you want a natural birth mama? Then a natural birth course might be for you. Do you see birth as a rite of passage and an important and transformational event that you'd like to feel fully empowered in meeting? Are you, like many other women, realizing that it is time to take back your power as a birthing woman in the birth space and birth your baby your way? Would you like to feel calm and confident as you birth your baby with all the tools you need in order to meet the labor sensations naturally and be ready body, mind and soul? Do you deeply down know that your body was made to birth your baby and that you have all the inherent power and inner wisdom to do so? Are you looking for holistic midwifery wisdom and guidance to assist you and give you all the evidence-based information you need in order to feel fully sovereign in your decision-making around your pregnancy and upcoming birth? Then the Natural Birth Course is for you. Find out more at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. So how long until you felt pregnant again with your second? Oh, the second was wildly different. Um, their dad and I, or my, my kids, my first one's dad and I, uh, we were actually separating in the middle of getting divorced. I had just moved out. I had a two-year-old. So Vincent was two. This is my youngest. Um, when I had moved out into a friend's house 
And then three weeks later, I found out I was pregnant with Victor. (laughs) I was like, oh, all right. So we did the whole, well, let's try to make it work sort of thing. And uh, we stayed together for a year from that point, from when I it was, well, let's see, he was six months when we split up again. So yeah, a little over a year, we stayed together and tried to make it work and it didn't work yeah. <laughs> as it usually doesn't when you just know things are kind of at an end and in a relationship. But I had a completely different experience with him. I didn't want to be pregnant. I was not happy about it. And at the same time, I knew he was coming. Mm. I had seen both of my kids and visions and dreams before I had them. And I remember right before I left and moved into my friend's house, I had a dream of Victor, my second one. And I would just try to ignore it. I was like, okay, yeah, maybe a baby in the future or whatever with someone else, but didn't think it would be in three weeks. So, wow, I'm pregnant. (laughs) So that was not a fun pregnancy at all. And from what I learned that when you have a precipitous birth or when you have a, uh, when your labor starts with your water breaking, I learned that it's more likely that it'll happen a second and a third and a fourth time. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And when we were getting close to term with him, I was 32 weeks. And then I took a plane from Colorado to New Orleans, where I'm from, to see my family with my older one uh, before I gave birth again. Mm. And when I got off the plane going back to Colorado, where I lived at the time, uh, two hours later, my water broke <laughs> at oh. 34 weeks. Yeah, wow. 34 weeks is so early. For anyone like listening who doesn't know, like five 34 weeks. Your baby is like fully formed. And by then, the last mm-hmm. thing that really like needs to develop fully is the lungs, right? That's like sometimes 34. But babies who are born at that time sometimes can have problems with like asthma or breathing stuff or allergies because of that early. They come so early, right? Because after 34 weeks, it's really mostly the baby gets fatter and fatter, which is really important, you know, and gross. Um, and also, obviously, brain development. But Otherwise, babies at that age can can easily survive, right? But it is just kind of on that edge, isn't it? It's just, it's very, very early. It's very premature. Um, so yeah, breaking your waters then, that must have come as a shock. It was big time. <clears throat> it was not expected in any way, shape or form. And it definitely threw me for a curve. Uh, for this pregnancy, I wanted support from another woman just because I wasn't on the best of terms with their father. And I actually did hire a midwife because we were in a, we were in Denver, Colorado, which is much bigger than where I had had my first baby. So we had many more options. So I hired a midwife for this one because I just wanted support from another woman that I really wasn't getting from my partner at the time. So yeah. Uh, I called her and she's like, okay, here's the statistics, you know, premature babies, your baby's going to come within the next five days. Um, you know, within, if you were to go to the hospital right now, they would want to induce you at least within 24 hours, but the stats show, you know, the risk of infection goes way up after 72. So you really want to be in labor and have your baby before 72 hours. So I went in knowing all the facts. Most of the times the baby will be born by itself. Like nature will take over. Very few people will break their waters and then just not have a contraction at all and not birth their babies. Like most women will birth within the 72 hours after breaking their waters. So I went into hospital 24 hours later and my midwife wanted me to go to make sure that it was actually the water, which... I'm like, okay, I didn't pee. (laughs) I know it was the water. Uh, So we went, or I went with um, my husband at the time. And of course they confirmed that it was, they didn't have any waters left. And, you know, it wasn't like the most welcome news, but 
at the same time, I kind of already knew. So uh, they didn't want to release me, of course. So they tried to induce, they wanted to induce me and all this stuff. And I just said, nope, you know, we can talk about it when we get to about 72 hours, but we're not going to talk about it until then. Um, happy to try and induce myself with a breast pump. So, you know, if you want to bring one to the room, try it and see what happens. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love your like commitment <clears throat> to like wanting to do that naturally. And and for anyone listening, like actual nipple stimulation, which is what you wanted to do, like breast pump, that's what it does. It's actually very much an evidence-based way of naturally inducing yourself. Like it has great statistics. So um, that's very clever. It's very well researched by you to know that. And I also want to add another thing. So you said, you know, all your waters were gone. It actually continuously uh, replenishes itself, right? So for anyone listening, if your waters break, that doesn't mean that now there's not going to be any more water until the baby's born because it continues to replenish itself, right? Yeah, that's what my midwife kept saying. She's like, you know, you really do yeah, yeah. have the 72 hours. So it's up to you. I'm, I'm very thankful that this had to happen, that it happened in Denver, where they were much more open about natural birth there. Mm-hmm. It's, it tends to be a community with, you know, a higher natural birth rate than many other cities in the United States. So they were pretty used to women and my midwife had called them and been like, okay, she had a free birth for her first one. She can totally birth a baby, (laughs) but this is going to shock her to death, like being in this setting. So, uh, the whole team was warned. I had the head of obstetrics come and talk to me and they were like, I thought they were arguing with me. It's so funny because my husband was like, they're not arguing with you. They're actually on your side. They said, you're right. I'm like, <laughs> cause I'm just like, I'm not taking any drugs. <laughs> and they're like, chill. We understand. <laughs> and you're right. We understand. Not until around 72 hours. Do we really need to do anything? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're on your side. Like take all the time you need. Here's a breast pump. Cool. So I did that on and off for six hours. Uh, We went in around 10 PM maybe. And then between admission and then getting a room and all the things, Mm. it wasn't until about six o'clock in the morning because they had, they wanted to run a blood test and all this stuff because they didn't have any, uh, the midwife hasn't hadn't transferred paperwork yet. So from six to 12 that I did the breast pump and maybe around nine or 10 in the morning, I started to feel the uterine, the uterus contract. Like I did around two o'clock in the morning with my first one. Mm. And I remember that sensation. And I was like, okay, that's a contraction. Mm. It doesn't hurt at all. It's just like, oh, I just feel this muscle tightening Mm. and then it just releases. So I noticed it was starting to work and I was like, okay, well, we'll just keep it up for a couple more hours and see what happens. And every time I would, it, like it would squeeze my nipple, you know, like with the breast pump, the contraction would start. I was like, oh my God, it's actually working. Uh, so I would start and stop it to see if my body would take over. But every time I would stop with a breast pump and turn it off, my body wouldn't do anything. And it was just like, okay, well, I guess it's just not ready. Um, so I would keep doing it. And then around noon, I stopped the breast pump. And then my body kept having the tiny little mm. tightenings. I don't, I, I, I would assume it's what most people consider a Braxton Hicks contraction because there's absolutely no pain. It was just like a little, eh, okay. <laughs> Something's happening, but you know, it's nothing that I'm thinking about or in pain about or anything. And then that went on for several hours where it's just like, all right, well, something's happening. I don't need to continue using it because I feel like, you know, eventually this is going to pick up. And around four o'clock, uh, yeah, four, no, more, more like 4.30 in the evening. Yeah, about 4.30, that's when I started to notice a little bit of an uptick in things. Like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm actually approaching you know, first stage labor and not just this Braxton Hicks stuff. And that's when, um, my husband called the midwife because she was going to come and the whole team 
of doctors. I had the whole time I, I was just like, okay, you know, I had a home birth. Like I am not going to have a baby in that bed. So I don't know what y'all need to figure out, but I'm not having a baby on my back. I'm not having a baby in that bed. It's the most uncomfortable looking thing in the world to me. So they had brought out a pad and blankets and all sorts of stuff. And we put it on the floor and around five and five in the afternoon, uh, I had one contraction that was just like, boom, there it is. Okay. We're definitely in labor now. Um, and then I had six contractions and he was out after Whoa. six. <laughs> so it was like right at five o'clock. Um, that's when I knew it was full-blown labor. And then, uh, the midwife, she did not, she can't, she did make it on time, but it was like five minutes before he was out. Uh, they called a different midwife. Midwives aren't allowed to catch babies in the hospitals that are yeah. preemie. Yeah. And the this doc- is just the U.S. Just by the way, just saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the doctor uh, that was on call, he refused to catch my baby because Excuse I was on the floor. Yes. Oh my God! What? That's very upsetting to me bloody patriarchal attitude. What? Yeah. He didn't come in and make a fuss, but he had told the team that he was going to grab a midwife. And that as long as he was overseeing what the midwife was doing, that it would be legal. So he went and got the midwife because he knew that she had more experience birthing or catching babies that weren't on back than he did, which is so fucking ridiculous. (laughs) That is ridiculous that that's his experience. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I, I never even saw him. Like, I don't even remember. What was like, I think he was in there when the baby came out. I mean, I assume he had to have been, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but the midwife lady came in and she caught my baby on all fours on the floor of the hospital room. And, uh, from that moment, it was not fun. Um, mm. He breathed just fine. He had no problems breathing. His lungs were fully developed. And you know what's funny? Hannah, I had a panic attack for the first time in my life the mm. night before. Because remember, I said I went in at 10 p.m. Yeah. And I didn't really get started until 6 a.m. with a breast pump. Yeah. I had a panic attack sometime and during the night because there were so many people coming into my room yeah. and talking to me about what to do. Um, I never had a panic attack. I didn't know what it was, but I remember telling my husband, I was like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's wrong. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm going to die. Like, I don't know what's happening. And it was not labor. And I knew that. And then the nurses came in and like, honey, you're having a panic attack. And it's so funny because they attribute the that my kids' lungs were fully developed because the uh, cortisol and stress hormone, the adrenaline actually activates the alveoli in their lungs to really close and seal up or something like that. I don't know all the medical terminology, but like that was actually a really good thing that you had that panic attack because it made your baby's lungs like really develop. Yeah. So this is something that they usually offer. Maybe, I don't know if they didn't offer you that because you usually get two uh, injections of mm-hmm. this um to help yeah. the surfactant is called in the yeah. lungs to to be produced um so did they not give you the steroids no steroids and they did practice me today on. to do because of this exactly what happened naturally then for you <laughs> it was supposed to happen naturally you're supposed to have a panic attack other people get steroids <laughs> other people get that as a, as a shot just have a so panic good. attack and just you have a panic attack <laughs> That's also the that's the natural way of doing it. Do you if you don't want to take the shot, then go out and get yourself a panic attack. No, don't please don't. That's just a joke. Right. <laughs> but it it was, you know, like all things in divine timing and flow, right? Like yeah. I had never had one in my life. And then apparently, you know, greater being knew that that's what my baby needed to do to come out fine. Yeah. Out perfectly fine. So uh, he had no problems breathing, but he didn't have the suck swallow reflex. Mm-hmm. So we did NICU for 10 days and 
it was it was really challenging. the The first few minutes after he was born, they they took him immediately and made sure he was breathing just fine. But then they gave him right back to me after Good. they recognized that he was breathing. So within about two or three minutes, I had him back on me. So that yeah. was good, but I did not like how, you know, his placenta was cut immediately. Yeah. And, uh, then they, uh, you know, after I had him for several minutes, they wanted to put him on an IV and all the things. And that was traumatic for me to yeah. watch. Yeah, Yeah, it's so tricky when they're so young and and knowing what's what's good practice or not is also really tricky. Like for all babies are different, but in hospital is one way for itself for many. Um, But yeah, the suck swallow is something that hasn't really developed by then. And so you need to tube feed them for a while until they can develop that. But um, I remember you said that you did something that's very uncommon which was you stayed at the hospital in NICU for the whole 10 was it 10 days yeah yeah so again this is why I'm grateful I was where I was in Denver most NICUs in the United States are at least at that time where all the babies were in the same room in a little incubator or they had several babies in one room and several rooms uh, and the parents aren't allowed to stay per hospital policy. So uh, I had told the doctors that I wasn't going to leave and that they needed to figure out a way for me to stay because I wanted to do kangaroo care. I already knew what that was. And the head of the NICU came in and talked to me. He's like, I know you know what you're doing. Uh, I know you know the facts. I know you know your rights and I can't make you leave. I love that make you leave and that's great you want to do kangaroo care we know that that's a super positive thing we don't have anybody that really comes and does it but you know if that's what you want to do we'll help you so they did they told the whole team that I wasn't gonna leave (laughs) uh the nurses were really cool and they actually let me uh tube feed my baby So I was just pumping breast milk and then they would let me put the milk down his belly. So they had to use the tube from his nose and and put it all the way down into his belly, which was just so sad to watch. But um, yeah, so it was great. You know, I had a lot of autonomy and was able to maintain my rights and stand up for Mm -hmm. myself and you know, I'm, I'm just happy that they responded positively and the, they weren't combative mm-hmm. or like, no, you can't stay or whatever. Cause I would have lost yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah. And maybe they knew that. And the thing is, I would say most places you can advocate for yourself in this way. And I think, you know, you have something very unique in the way in the person you are, like you're just, um, you've always seemed to have had a very strong voice and being able to advocate for yourself and, not many people have that. Like many have the ingrained good girl of listening to authority and not being, you know, being compliant and not being a pain, right? And um, but it's important to know that you always have right, like this is your child. And yes, and I think, you know, just going back to the days when I was doing rotation in NICUs, um, I never worked constantly there. That wasn't my desire to be. It's like, you know. I see you for babies. I, I couldn't, my heart couldn't do it, but I, you know, during my training, I had to do it obviously for training purposes. And it's just, they're very stuck in their ways. And the whole thing is that even though we know better now, we know kangaroo care is the best care. We've known that since the eighties. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Still it's not practiced in most places around the world. Like it's very unique. And it comes down to all, almost like women, mothers, knowing about it and advocating for that for that to happen then of course there's some champion midwives out there who's doing you know their best to change status quo but what we know is that again anything we know with evidence it takes 30 years to change practice and sometimes even longer like i said it's been you know we know the best care is kangaroo care for new uh, like for preemies since the 80s and still not practiced like that's going on 40 years now 
you know, as it should be everywhere. Um, and it's the idea that many women get told, oh, your baby's going to get tired if you take it out of the incubator and have it skin to skin. Yes, like that trip from the incubator to your chest is like a round the world trip, right? For that baby, it's really, really hot. But then when you have them skin to skin, they regulate their heartbeat, their respirations, their saturations, all the things. It takes a while, but then they're, they're going to be even better on you than in the incubator. You're a better person, like you're a better place to be on mm-hmm. for the physiology of the baby, right? For the health of the baby than the incubator, always. So the more you can be skin to skin with your preemie, if you ever have one, the better not the incubator. The incubator is a substitute to you. If you can be there, you're better than the incubator always. And that's facts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I knew that. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I knew it and I advocated for it. And well, I wouldn't even say that. I just wasn't going to give them another option. <laughs> I I mean, it was that, or like, I'll go to a different hospital that will, like I can check my kid out from my hospital and send him to a different one. Um, so yeah, there wasn't, I didn't really give them an option. I just said, well, I'm not leaving. So we we can work together or this can be really difficult for both of us and my kid and we're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And I love this, you know, I love this story because some mamas listening right now who are pregnant might have this experience like you never know if your baby's going to be preemie like that will just happen if it happens and it's so important with this story to show that there's a different way of doing it than just walking into hospital and letting them take the lead you know educate yourself again right like do your research know what you would like you know if that happens and knowing that like if your water's break and you're preemie you have time to do your research then. You can sit, like, you don't have to do it now, right? If it doesn't happen to you, it doesn't happen. But like you did, you took your time at home. Like, there's no rush. There's no panic. Like, take a breath. Obviously, consult with someone, <laughs> especially looking at the waters, you know, if it's clear or not. That's very important, of course, and stuff like that. But there's no rush. Nothing is a rush. Almost always is there time for, like, asking benefits and risks and alternatives like doing your research almost every even in labor even in the midst of like active labor you have time almost always nothing is almost a true ever true emergency there's always like five minutes ten minutes half an hour hours that you can like go hey I need some time to think about this or I need to you know hear about the options of things yeah Right. And I think one thing about the hospital story that might be important to highlight is that uh, the doctors that I was given weren't very supportive and they didn't want to go along with my thoughts and ideas. So I asked for the attending uh, or what what do you call it? The hospitalist? Yeah. The hospitalist in America is called the hospitalist. It's the person that's basically in charge of every doctor (laughs) in the hospital at that time. And they're the ones that kind of oversee all the doctors that are on call at the current time. So I asked for the top, the the person at the top and I said, okay, can you bring me the person in charge of you? Or like, you know, that oversees Mm -hmm. your decisions and what you're doing right now, because I'm not in line with this this doesn't feel good to me. Uh, and then I got that. I got it in both labor and delivery and in NICU. I talked mm-hmm. to both of the people in charge. Um, and again, I'm not hundred percent certain of the titles of that in your country or not even mine, mm-hmm. but um, I asked for the people in charge of making decisions. And I, and, and it's funny because they were all totally in agreement with me and they're like, you know what? You're right we, they basically admitted that, yes, we do make a lot of emergencies seem like an emergency when they're really not. Yeah. And they, you know, like I said, I, I was so defensive and like, oh my God, he's going to try and make me do these things. I'm not going to let, I'm not even going to listen to what he has to say. And then my husband was like, no, like he's actually agreeing with you chill. (laughs) And then I could hear what he's saying. He was saying, Mm -hmm. and he was, was in agreement and he did give me like, all of the 
the choice and the power. And it's like, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, I know I can, thanks. But, you know, I was like, I was getting that feedback from him. So if you don't like your doctor or what they're saying, ask for the person that's really the one making the decisions in the hospital, because there's always someone above that person, you know? That's it. That's it, Tilly. And I love that you say that. And the thing is, don't you think also a reason you knew that is because you started to be an OB? Like, and yeah. you were in the hospital, you understood the hospital. And like, mm-hmm. obviously me work, having worked in that environment, like we know this, most women don't understand this or families coming in, right? Yeah. And this is a golden nugget you're saying right now for anyone listening that mm-hmm. you can always do this. You can always ask for the boss of that, you know, person, right? And go up the chain and anything that they ever do to you or your baby they need you to give informed consent right like otherwise and they know this otherwise they can be sued for that right it's all everything is your decision i mean in america there's you know the suing is thing right a lot you know it's bigger than here at least and and they're very well aware of that and actually obstetrics get sued a lot so they want to minimize that risk for any kind of reason and so you have actually the ball in your court. You just have to say the right words. You have to just like, you say, this is my decision. This is what I want. I'm not consenting to this. And if they, if you feel like anyone tries to coerce you, you say, I want to speak to your manager <laughs> or like, you know, which you would say, like, if you go into a hotel or you go to, I don't know, a restaurant, or whatever, right. I want to speak to your manager. And then they get who they're going to, you know, who that is. And I don't know the word either for what I've never heard hospitalist. That's maybe a, a U.S. thing, but yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. There'll always be like someone in charge of the unit or someone above the doctors or the midwives working on the floor for sure yep wow what a what an empowering story though all the way through and how you just stuck to your guns and did it your way and obviously having had you know so much preparation like you did knowing so much that you did so if you have a first time mama in front of you right now is about to have her first baby and she really wants to have a natural and empowering birth experience what advice and pearls of wisdoms would you give to her? The mindset going into it makes all the difference that you are always the one in control. You always have the power. And if anyone tries to make you think that you don't, get them off your birth team immediately <laughs> because you always get to decide. You create your experience, you create your life, you create your birth experience. You don't have control over how it happens, but you have control over what it happened, what happens given the circumstances you're given. Mm. And I consider both of my birth experiences completely empowering and they were drastically different. And the only thing that was a common thread between them was me. Yeah. And that common thread was me and knowing my personal sovereignty and my body sovereignty and taking a fucking stand for it. So that's all that matters. That is all you need to have an empowering birth experience. It doesn't have to go the way you wanted it. It doesn't have to look like the perfect free birth experience. Like I have with my first one to be empowering. That's actually why I became a doula and a midwife before I found my true purpose of being a sex coach. But (laughs) uh, at the time it was very, uh, like, oh my God, if I could have an empowering birth through, through totally different lenses and experiences, like how can I help other women mm. to have this voice and to know their own body sovereignty and to take a stand for it. And yeah, that's, that's why I got into birth work because I wanted to teach other women that to help them remember that, mm. that they always have choice. So Uh, That would be my biggest nugget of wisdom is to always listen to your body and take a stand for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, especially in the current maternity system, climate in the world. You're so right. I mean, you can have people on your side that will try, but their voice is not as powerful as yours. No. So, yeah, ultimately it's up to you. (laughs) Yeah. It needs to be you that claims your right of passage. And it really is like, I, I love how you condense it. 
because it comes down to that. It's not about what it looks like or even where it is. It's mm-hmm. about how, how you feel. You, yes, your experience of it. And, you know, I can really hear that in your story because obviously the second one wasn't at all like your first. And But it was. it sounds so empowering in how you then took that circumstance and made it your own. You, okay. you decided in what way you were going to birth that baby. Um, the whole way through coming down even to like, you know, NICU and, and feeding your baby and doing quick kangaroo care. And that is the thing. That is really the thing, like making it your own, taking that full responsibility for your bath. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you got I it. I love that, Tilly. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your amazing birth stories with us. It's been Aww. such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please consider sharing it. Leave a review or make a contribution on our Patreon page. And if you want to connect on social media, then find the podcast on Instagram as The Natural Birth Podcast. Thank you for listening.